Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Seed to Forest. In this episode, I Gaurav Gupta, Chief Growth Officer at Extra Foundation, will be talking to Gaurav Goel, founder and CEO at Samad. Gaurav Goel is an author, a business world 40 and over 40, and a social entrepreneur who is working towards transforming governance in India. His organization Samadra is an impact-driven governance consulting firm which works with the political and bureaucratic leadership to address governance-related problems and to drive impact at scale. In this conversation Gaurav speaks about how he travels the country across 70 plus districts to incept the idea behind Samadra. Gaurav also shares Samadra's take on systemic reforms their approach and why is it important. Gaurav also shares how Samadra attracts top talent in the country to drive impact at scale. Varus focus on impact is really sharp and i hope the key takeaways that you have from listening to this also help you sharpen your impact happy listening hello everyone today we have gaurav goel with us gaurav is the founder and ceo of samagra and his journey with samagra started more than a decade back in fact samagra recently completed uh, 10 years and the the firm was set up with the intent of improving the quality of life for citizens in india through better governance uh, of course uh, gaurav has seen many ups and downs through the journey and in today's conversation our intent will be to learn from those experiences and uh, how it can shape uh, the journey of many others who are looking to do similar things in the impact space gaurav is also amongst the 40 under 40 by business world So he's a well-recognized leader in the impact space, and we're really glad that today Gaurav could take up time to talk to us. Thank you, Gaurav, and welcome. Thanks, thanks, Gaurav. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Really glad. And and before we jump into it, just wanted to tell our listeners that very recently Gaurav also had a conversation with uh, Shatha Sharma of Your Story, uh, where he spoke about the journey that Samagra has had. And I will urge all our listeners to also watch it or listen to it. and in this conversation our intent will be to ask him slightly different set of questions so that we don't repeat what you may otherwise hear uh, in in his conversation with shraddha so so gaurav you know of course in the conversation with shraddha you spoke about how you really wanted to uh, ensure impact at scale and uh, that really inspired you to get into the space and the initial days were not really great so much but of course there were a lot of learnings and there were a lot of mistakes that happened right so so let's jump into that uh, and then would love to hear from you about what were some of those experiences especially during the early days right because as someone who is entering the space and entering the sector you have a certain idea when you see things from outside but the moment you get inside the world almost all of a sudden changes So, so what were some of those experiences? I think the first kind of learnings that I had uh, when I decided to uh, get into the space is in the first six months when I travelled extensively across the country while shaping the idea of Samag. So, I was working with McKinsey. I quit and I decided to travel uh, uh, across. I did three things in that travel. I made a list of twenty-five odd organisations who are known to be doing good work in the social impact space across livelihoods, health, education, and so on. I I would go and meet their founders in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, and then wherever they are doing good work, I would visit that, stay there for a few days, and understand the model. So that was one thing that I did across organisations. The second thing I did in that travel is I really wanted to understand how wheels of governance move on the ground because growing up in Delhi, I didn't have too much exposure to that. So I decided to shadow district collectors in below. across different states so district collectors municipal commissioners block development officers sdm cdpo patwari nambardar 
So did a lot of that across states that give me some sense of how things are moving on the ground. And third, I was also intrigued by the work MPs were doing or the elected representatives, members of parliament were doing. So I made a list of some 15 MPs who were known to be doing good work. I cold called them and then requested them to saying that I want to come and understand how you are facilitating development in your constituency. So I did that. All of it put together took me to some 17 states. I stayed in around 70 odd districts and that was my first learning or the first set of kind of, you can say, orientation to the space. I saw outstanding people who committed their lives and were trying to create impact in their geographies and their domains and so on. From that, the idea of Samag took shape. And the core thesis at Samagra is better governance ever as a lever to create large-scale impact. So we look at Samaj, Sarkar, Bazaar. Uh, the thesis is that uh, the Bazaar has an important role to play or the markets will do their part. Uh, Samaj or civil society has an important role to play. But the third pillar is also Sarkar or governance. If we don't get our governance right, if we don't make it efficient, accountable, transparent, then we are going to kind of be left behind in the, in the development journey. So we chose our lever of change at Samag to be uh, better governance in the country. And all the work, therefore, that we have done in the last 10 odd years has been, quote unquote, with the uh, system in that sense. So that was the first part. And then, of course, so, so Arav, I'm intrigued yeah. to ask you a question here. So, mm -hmm. sorry to pause you because you spoke about the fact you cold called a lot of MPs. Right? Uh, can you just speak about what were some of those conversations like, right? Because uh, any normal citizen would be scared of doing that, right? But you had the guts, you had the gumption to do that. Yeah. So this is one learning that I've had over the years. I think the best way to reach out to someone is just to directly write an email or directly pick up the phone and call. All the MPs have this record on the looks of our website where their contact details are given, some landline numbers, some numbers of uh, this thing. And I just called those numbers. And you'll be surprised. In a lot of cases, their PAs, their assistants picked up the number. In some cases, the MPs directly picked up the number. Wow. And I would I would just say, Ki, I'm, I'm such and such. I've kind of had this, this my background. This is where I was working. I've decided to now quit. I want to full-time commit myself to the impact space. And I've really heard a lot of good things about what you are doing in your constituency. And can I come and see that? And I've just also realized that anyone who's doing anything good is very open to explaining, showcasing, is not KG about it. Want people to kind of come and see and, and experience, right? So I went to a, a Bikaner in Rajasthan, Durg in Chhattisgarh, Chindwara in Madhya Pradesh, Baramati in, uh, uh, in, in Maharashtra, and I know all over the country. So this was Jamshedpur in, in Jharkhand. So these are all MPs who were known to be doing good work and they were very, very welcoming. So either they themselves or often their teams would actually facilitate you to be taken around in the constituency and, and show. So I've, I've learned this that, and, and today also I practice this. If you are able to get a warm connection and all, it's fine. But even if not, just write directly and people, a lot of times uh, uh, you'll see them uh, responding. I think that's, that itself is a big learning for everyone that, you know, uh, you drew out that list. So of course, you had done a bit of homework around uh, figuring out who to contact. And then, you know, we just called them and of course made a honest uh, kind of a request and, and they, they showed up, they pretty much agreed to that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. carry on. No, so, so that was setting up of Samag. And the first two and a half years, we were focused on working with MPs. So 2013, 14, part of 2015, the model was to work with members of parliament or MLAs and support them with different aspects of constituency development, either by leveraging government schemes or by getting private interventions into their constituency, or just helping them with grievance redressal and so on. So that was the model. 
we ended up working with MPs across party lines in eight different states at the time. Lot of lot of kind of learning in the sense we worked very closely with the district administration at that point in time. So you understood how things really move at the district level. What's the interplay between politics and governance on the ground? Uh, you could see the impact of what you're doing very up and close. You can almost meet the beneficiaries of the work that you're doing on a daily basis, right? So all of this was great. But net net, uh, 2015, we reflected and that's after that we pivoted also. But there were two broad takeaways from that phase. One, that given our aspiration to create impact at scale, right? It was important uh, that we work with the executive and we don't work with the legislature, right? Because executive is the... the by executive, I mean the ministers and the bureaucracy. They are the ones who really have the mandate to deliver development. Yeah. Right? The, the legislature is supposed to keep an oversight on the executive. They are supposed to hold them accountable in the parliament, in the state assemblies and so on. We studied that in civics, but it took two and a half years to actually kind of figure that out by actually trying and doing things. So that was one takeaway. The second takeaway was state as a unit of change. Today at Samagri, we strongly believe that if India has to transform, it has to be state by state by state. It's very difficult to do as an entire country. Government of India has a very important role to play. It has to get the narrative right, the focus areas right, the budgets right, priorities right. It has to enable the states. Districts are largely implementation. State is where you can conceptualize and design a lot of things. At the same time, have a very direct control on implementation because the districts report to the state and not to the government of India. So that was the other big takeaway, uh, state as a unit of change. And therefore, we pivoted, as I said, in 2015 uh, to our current model, which is also our uh, long-term model where we are focused on working with the political and the bureaucratic leadership in the states, uh, which is the chief minister's mandate and a champion bureaucrat, a champion IS officer on system reforms or deep systemic transformations, uh, uh, two, three, four year kind of reform agendas uh, across different domains, school education, agriculture, skilling, healthcare, employment linkages, and so on and so forth. And that's been the long-term model. But that was the important pivot that we made. And the only big pivot, I would say, that we made in 2015. There have been some things subsequent to it also, more recent years. But that's been the big pivot. Right. That, that's very interesting. And in fact, uh, but before we come to, you know, life after that uh, big pivot, uh, you know, life prior to that big pivot, right? Because this was, in a way, your first set of experiences of working with the legislature as well as, you know, the administration. What were some of those experiences like? I mean, uh, and you spoke about, uh, you know, uh, how it's very different. And then there, there would have been pieces behind that pivot, right? But what did you see? I mean, what were those experiences? Yeah. So I think one of the uh, things that I definitely recall is, is MPs not being as empowered as we feel they are. We believe that MPs, MLAs, they can kind of get a lot of things done. Uh, uh, but really, they don't have any direct authority, right? They have influence. Some of them have influence, people who are kind of maybe senior in their party, people who have been kind of in the government earlier and so on, just by their own stature, they have influence and they can get things done. But as a role, it's largely, I, I shouldn't use an extreme word, but it's toothless to some extent. Okay. Like the way the, the power structures are, the way the, the administration is structured, is really the executive. And in the, in the state, it's the chief minister, right, who's calling the shots and working with the bureaucracy to kind of deliver stuff. The MPs and MLAs are in some sense incidental. They were important role to play in the assembly, in the parliament and so on. But again, assemblies are, are kind of bills get passed very, very kind of quickly. And, and it's not a lot of debate that happens there often, right? So that was one, one surprise almost 
at that point in time and we will we all when we vote uh, for the uh, legislature and the lps we assume they will bring about the change in our area but like uh, you're revealing the startling truth that in reality uh, their powers are limited right yeah. and the real power resides with the bureaucrats working with the yeah. central administration in the state yeah they have some oversight they have some influence as i'm saying but not real real uh, authority to do things also we will when we meet them and we will tell them okay this is what can be done in the constituency they'll really be very very kind of uh, engaged because because there was nothing like that that existed at the time and and lot of mps especially in 2014 were first time mps right they won in the wave elections and 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 they didn't know how to really kind of discharge their functions in an mp so there was a lot of pull for what we were taking but then the questions around finances for example we were getting very clear that we'll take money in in check right that's the, we've been a clean clean setup from day one even if we were working in this space right and they will be they ask same things like okay, my salary is not this much how do i kind of give you this kind of a uh, this thing if you're not willing to take in cash you can only take by check and i don't have this kind of a compensation so how do i even get you so we believe they can mobilize a lot of resources but mobilizing this kind of resources that we wanted is again not a easy thing and we didn't want to be working only with rich mps right because those are the ones who can actually kind of you when you can work with them but then we would have ended up working with the top 10 50 richest mps out of the 540 Right. Yeah. So these were some of the interesting things that we figured out at that point in time. Very, very interesting, right? Because the, this this goes against the conventional wisdom around something like this, and it can really come through when you work on the ground and see for yourself. Yeah. Uh, right now, now of course, uh, in 2015, uh, you know, you had the uh, big pivot as you uh, you know described it. and uh, uh, that hence also meant uh, working uh, with the senior mandate uh, i mean the senior statesmen in the state along with the you know uh, bureaucrats and driving trees centrally right so uh, now how was it practically different uh, between the two avatars right the, the avatar before 2015 to the avatar afterwards i mean what were the practical changes or differences uh, uh, that came through as you were doing that so it's a very different and sometimes there was hardly any similarity between what we were doing earlier and what we were doing post 2015 because here we are talking about system reform so beat any domain let's say even if it's school education we are saying it's not about this one classroom or one school it is around school education as a system when you're looking at 20000 schools together and you're trying to solve for it you need to have a set of administrative interventions on one side so you're saying what's the right configuration of schools in the state uh, how do you make sure this merit based recruitment of school teachers what's the transparent teacher transfer policy how do you get in accountability for learning outcomes on the other side you're talking about more academic or technical things like what should be the material that goes into the classroom how should teacher training happen how should a mentoring cadre be created and how do they mentor teachers how should examinations happen and of course we'll partner with a lot of technical entities for that that's the way we are thinking and, and while doing all of it how do you motivate the entire system towards a certain outcomes right how do you get momentum in the system change management so those were the kind of things now when you were working with mps it was a very different ball game we think intervention uh, right we take a particular intervention which kind of will skill 5000 or 10000 people in the constituency and kind of help them right which is very different from a system reform kind of an initiative or the uh, road map that we create later so very very different i would say a technology became an imperative in the later of that right when you're doing things at that scale and you want to bring about certain quality and certain standardization it's impossible to do it without technology so we started investing a lot in technology 2015 onwards 
because that was a need uh, and the way technology was happening inside the government a lot of challenges a lot of limitations in in, in that and therefore that became a, a important enabler so very very different i would say right and in fact uh, that you know uh, quite interesting that gaurav that you describe it uh, so well because i think in your talk with shraddha you also spoke about the fact that for a lot of players who are looking to get into the impact space uh, the moment it comes to working at scale they realize that uh, they need to work with the government yeah right and then typically people don't have that muscle of working with the government and here you are talking about the fact that you move from working with the mps to working with the uh, the state as a unit it meant that the things change from trying to do interventions straight away to trying to do systemic or bring about systemic reforms which is very very different in terms of its sheer scale size etc and of course technology becomes important in that context so just speak through and talk about what kind of technology becomes you know as, as some of the signals that you saw as becoming important when that happened yeah so i think the way technology was happening in the government and even today happens at a, at a lot of places there are several challenges first is the challenge of time anything small that needs to be built you have to go through a government procurement process either you have a ready made team which is generally not the case right you will kind of put together a tender document or an rfp it will take a few months you will get budget approvals then it will take a few months for you to get the technology vendor on board and then you define requirements and then it will take a certain while to kind of build that there are always time overruns and also time is a challenge the smallest of simple app will take about 9 months to get developed that is one second is cost some of these technologies are not very expensive today because they are available in open source right this open source world out there which has high quality readily made kind of you can say building blocks that are there and you can leverage them to build what you want to build but in the government when you building everything from scratch and this is incentive for the technology vendor also to build it from scratch because they can build more before you ending up spending much more money than actually what what the thing deserves so and build upon versus build from scratch exactly exactly leverage versus kind of build from scratch and the tendency was to build from scratch so this a time challenge this is a cost challenge this is a time challenge and the third is also quality so the, the quality of the vendors that would come typically through a tender process is not the most highest kind of more sophisticated kind of vendors and therefore the quality of code they'll write the stack the technology stack they're using all of this is a little dated and when you look at again the open source world there's so much scrutiny that open source code goes to that automatically the quality tends to be better so quality was also a challenge and the last one is change management if let's say you build something now you want to say i want to make this change this drop down i want to change this particular tab on a dashboard now that's again a lot of custom development that again will take one month to happen there's no configurability typically in the system because you're making a very custom product and not a generic product which can be custom which can be configured so these are all very i mean say omnipresent challenges in the in the government system now what do you do so i think the two muscles that we have developed over time which i believe kind of helps with this and there's a separate digital public good part which we can come to later but just in terms of this kind of stuff one is that now when we work with the government we almost advise the government or work with the government on putting the getting the architecture right the design of the technology right so in that design we make sure that anything that's readily available in open source gets embedded gets used only a small part let's say total code needs to be written 60% is already available only 40% needs to be written and for that do an rfp and get a vendor to do that right but 60% use uh, and we put it in the tender document that this is the open source things will need to be used now that code it cuts down time it cuts down cost it improves 
the architecture becomes more modular and it it kind of just the quality of what, what gets out finally is, is much better. So that's one kind of muscle. And we oversee in some sense the development that's happening through the government vendors and so on. So that's one part. Second thing which still we do ourselves is, is you can say pushing the envelope on technology or POCs, right? Let me give you one recent example from Odisha, agriculture. So for the longest time, one of the things that the state and us, we also with the state have been trying to do is digital advisory, advisory services to the farmers. Now, uh, traditionally, it used to happen one-on-one where an agriculture extension officer will go and kind of the, the farmers will ask questions and so on. That still happens. But then a digital advisory thing started where we said, okay, let's kind of put together a lot of advisory content. We get to know what's the farming cycle of every farmer in the state. And this is state database of farmer. Basis that IVR calls will go to the farmer. IVR call will go to the farmer at the right time so that they're getting the right advisory. If they have a question, they can call a helpline and those will get ex- answered by an expert. Now, this is what existed in the state, working very well, very kind of gotten a lot of recognition, fifty scale to 50 lakh farmers and so on. Now, recently, there was this whole movement around chat GPT, right? Yeah. Two days back, a version has come, but the one version that came before that. Now, everyone is talking about chat GPT. And there is something called Bhashini in IIT Madras, which is sitting, which can translate from any Indian language to any Indian language. Chat GPT can be trained as a, as a kind of MLAI module. Then last year, created something called Unified Communications Interface, which allows for a bot-based communication, open source tool for that. We said, okay, can all of this be combined? And we did a three-week POC to say, okay, we want to get a farmer in Odisha to ask a farming-related question in Odia on a bot powered by UCI, which will get translated to English using uh, Bhashini. That English version will go into a chat GPT, which will be trained on the all the accumulated advisory content in the state. So it's already trained on that. They'll throw an answer, which again will convert it back to Odia and given back to the farmer. Right. So this is a is a magical thing if you think from the uh, government's perspective. It can be game changing. So that POC we would do in in two three weeks. Uh, there was Krishi Krishi Mela happening in the state with kind of tens of thousands of farmers got tested there. The governor launched it the next week itself, saying that it's so powerful. I want to launch. It's not yet fully done. But it's launched already, and now there's a roadmap to it where the government has gotten a vendor, we'll work with that vendor on the same technologies to actually make it very fine-tuned and, and relevant to the farmer. So this is the second thing, pushing the envelope. A government internally would never think of these kind of solutions. Right? It's very difficult. The muscle does not exist typically inside. I'm saying classically inside the government. A government vendor will never think of these things. right? So doing these kind of things, demonstrating the power of what is possible, and then, then the same process of kind of getting the government to kind of build it uh, for scale. Right, so these are two muscles uh, supporting the development that's happening inside the government, getting the architecture right, overseeing development, and the second is pushing the envelope through POCs. I think these two things is what we have really uh, developed, and that helps. I am learning a lot in this conversation. Hope you are too. Which questions would you like me to ask? What areas would you like me to explore further? Please write to me at gaurav@takestep.org. That's fascinating, Gaurav, especially the Odisha agricultural example that you spoke about. In fact, uh, there are two questions that come to my mind. I'm going to ask the first question first, uh, which is also linked to the idea of uh, system reforms that you spoke about, right? Now, a lot of times, a lot of us think of system reforms as complete transformation of the system from what it was to uh, a much better scenario, which is significantly, significantly different from... uh, uh, the, the earlier avatar. 
Now, do you think it happens uh, based on your experience, right? Do you think it happens in that fashion or is it a series of step changes which gradually show the change and when you look at them, uh, you know, from a distance, it, it looks like a significant transformation? So I think in there are all kinds of scenarios in my view, but the more common scenario is what you are saying, which is there's a, there's a step in steps it happens. So you move from one to another, to another, to another, and, and then it kind of, after if you zoom out, then it looks fundamentally different from where it started from. Typically, that is the way I've seen kind of things uh, happen. And transformation by definition is, is not something that's very different. Transformation in my view is transforming something. Uh, so you change and the change is permanent. The change sticks. That's the definition of transformation. Uh, that you this something existed, it changes to something. Now, how big the change is, that's not the point. But whatever the change is, that change is permanent, right? That is the definition of transformation. If you really strictly go by, by the word, the term also. Even in the example that I talk about in Odisha, if you really look at it, there was a physical extension services or advisory services that are happening. They're not they even exist today. It's not that they're going to go away. A step function was made to say, okay, let's start doing it by IVR. Let's kind of collate this, start doing it by IVR. Then a further thing was done. Okay, let the farmer also call and ask. Now we are seeing another step function to say, okay, can a bot uh, answer? So if you really look at it, you can see it in steps, uh, how the transformation is panning out and how it is happening. And that's the case in a lot of places. We strongly believe, I'm a strong believer in the fact that, so this, uh, you want to transform or you want to kind of bring about a change or you want to bring about an impact in a particular domain. This one part of it, which is a design of it which is the thinking of it. And there, uh, one of the principles that have over time become very prominent in Samagra is what we call minimalistic design. So, so don't have a grand kind of design because it often doesn't work. Try to make it as simple as possible, as minimalistic as possible. Now, I'm not saying that complex problems can be solved by every time with a very simple solution. That's not often the case. But try to give it as minimalistic as possible. So that's one principle, minimalistic design. The second part, which is I think equally important is, is in some large scale change, the change management is more important than the design. Right. Sometimes. Right? So design can be 80% design, but if the change management is done well, you'll get the impact. And you can have the best of design. If the change management is poor, the design doesn't yield the uh, impact or the results. And change management... Uh, me, what you are saying becomes very important that it cannot be a drastic change. Uh, sometimes it has to be a step-by-step -step change. Sometimes it can be. I'm saying there will always be those situations where you feel, okay, this one thing fundamentally changed, but more often than not, it's it's that. How do you clearly communicate to the entire system what needs to be done? How do you incentivize them to do that? The challenge in government and change management is that you don't have the usual levers like you have in a startup or you have in a corporate that you will kind of give bonus to someone, you kind of promote the person past. All that is not, those levers are not there, right? And that's why change management is more difficult. So you have to find out a lot of non-financial or non-kind of recognition based or other kinds of incentive mechanisms and then drive the change. So right. change management is a big thing and, and I'm with you on, on, on the fact that it's not always drastic. It can be a set of plus ones. Got it. In fact, that's a very powerful articulation, Gaurav, because... Uh... I also recall Nandan speaking about uh, how even when uh, he worked on the Aadhaar project, the design or the infra, the digital infra that got created for it was minimalistic in nature. And that was by choice, right? Uh, because the intent was to offer that as base infra for everyone to build upon and look at the kind of transformation it has uh, achieved uh, in the country. And, and of course, like you said, the transformation has been a series of steps uh, which uh, 
you know, when you zoom out and look for over a period of time, how really, you know, evolved the country to the next level. And India is known as one of the leading players in the world around digital infra, around identity, around payments and so on and so forth. Yeah, there could have been a temptation in the design of Aadhaar to say this will solve for 10 things, right? But it was kept very simple to just identity, to say whether a person is who he or she is claiming to be, right? That was a simple use case to begin with. And today we see how that has become an enabler for 100 use cases that are being kind of done on, on that, right? And subsequently, KYC, and you keep on adding to it, right? That's that's exactly what, uh, yeah. That's a very good example. So, so some of the uh, secret sauce for exponential change is minimalistic design, minimalistic uh, solutioning, and minimalistic infra that you kind of provide for it and then allows many more to play on it and kind of, you know, bring about that change. Yeah. Now, coming to the second question that I was looking to ask in the context of the two principles or the muscles that you developed in that context. Uh, so, especially around the one on pushing the envelope. Now, of course, when you say that, you know, you spoke about uh, POCs being done, which kind of sparked the imagination of what are the possibilities that exist in this space, right? Now, uh, have you seen that happen only via POCs or are there other ways in which the envelope can be really pushed to really spark the imagination, open up more possibilities? What else have you seen to work in this space? I mean, is it like... Crafting certain experiences, which may not be a real pilot on the ground, but through experiences that people can see or things like that. What do you think about that? Yeah, a lot of time it's just kind of making it real for the decision makers. right? Uh, so you can keep on explaining something through a PowerPoint and right. say, okay, this is what can be done. That's what can be done. And all. some people may kind of get that. But if you make, especially at the political leadership level, when you're talking about it, you're talking about the chief minister, right? A lot of time, PowerPoints don't work. You have to make it real. It could be, for that matter, a, a, a wireframe, right? If it's a, around technology. It could be a story, a very kind of grounds up story of, let's say, this persona. So this student in this village, in this district blog, is this is her life today. And see, this is how that can change. And by the way, to do this, these are the things to be done. So I think a lot of personas and storytelling from a persona perspective when it comes to tech, a lot of things that can be touchy and feely and they can kind of use it. It might be a prototype, it might be a kind of a wireframe or something like that. They tend to be more effective than the typical corporate style presentations that, that are used for decision making in the private sector world. No, the, that's very interesting. Uh, uh, in fact, Gaurav, because the way you've framed it, make it real. Yeah. Right? Because I think uh, that is what changes the perspective because you're not, not talking about uh, something which is on a PowerPoint, which I cannot see, but I can touch and feel, you know, that thing in terms of uh, that becoming real in front of me. I can visualize that. I can see it. Exactly. And I remember we used to at one point in time have a lot of meetings in Haryana with the chief minister, right? And we had on, on something called digital Haryana cell. We had a construct called the digital Haryana cell. We were working on a lot of technology things there in the state. Now, now technology is, you can explain technology in a certain way, but we made it a we had decided as a team that anytime we have a meeting with the chief minister, we start with the story of a of a girl or a youth in the state. We'll start it from that and then come to the technology that we're talking. Never start from technology. Start from something that is relatable. Because the good part is that most politicians spend a lot of time kind of in the field, right? They really understand people. They understand the society. They understand the real challenges on the ground, right? So if you peg your this thing on that and then come to the solution, I think that... Uh, we've seen work really well. 
So, uh, of course, Gaurav, you've seen the journey of, uh, you know, this evolving and really happening across multiple sectors, across multiple states in, in the realm of the work that the Samagra team is now doing on the ground. Now, how do you look at the evolution that may have happened from 2015 to now we are in 2023? And of course, looking at the, uh, you know, uh, coming seven, eight years where uh, I see a lot of people talking about this being India's tech aid. Right, uh, a, a decade where India is the leader in technology across the world, and hence uh, being called the decade. Right, so so uh, how do you look at the journey uh, over the last seven eight years in this context, and how do you see it panning out over the next seven eight years? So if I look at our own journey over the last seven years, I'll come to the forward-looking part. I think uh, after the pivot in 2015, there was one more time. I think when we expanded the horizon, so not a pivot. We didn't change what we were doing, but we added uh, something around two years back. And there were two parts to it. The first was our core belief that this domain, the what we call broadly, loosely the impact sector, which can be the social impact sector, governance, all of that. It requires the best minds in the country to solve the, we need, we need the best minds in the country to solve the most complex challenges. And some of the most complex challenges are in this space. They are not, if I were to say in the private sector, they are here. The most complexity is here and you need the best minds. While there is some outstanding people working in this space, but there's not enough critical mass, as I say, of top quality talent. There are a lot of people with passion, which is also very important that drive passion, but also you need as much talent as possible. So in some sense, it's a, almost a personal mission and mission that you've taken at Samagra also to say, how do we attract that? How do we enable that? And therefore, we started a couple of ecosystem initiatives around that, which is maybe anchored by us, maybe catalyzed by us, but it's not our initiative alone. A lot of entities, organizations, people in the ecosystem come together to do that. One of them is something called Code for GovTech, where the idea is to kind of create an open source community for digital public goods uh, in the country. And again, we'll come to digital public goods, but but I really believe that it's something that cannot be forever be funded. It'll have to somewhere be taken over by the community. And the community has to be engaged from the very beginning, the contributor community. And therefore, to enable that, Code for GovTech is one initiative. Another one is something called the Governance Challenge, which focuses on sensitizing the talent in the top 25 business schools in the country and top five policy schools towards this space through a challenge or a competition, you can say, called the Governance Challenge. Right. So this is, this is one thing that how do we see our role slightly more broader as an ecosystem player and not just as an individual org. And so, how do you tap into the talent of the country, which is available in abundance, but yes. may not be oriented towards... Exactly. The, it's not the oriented, is not sensitized, is not enough aware about what all is happening in this space. How do I contribute in this space? There are careers that can be made in this, this space and all of that. So that's, that's one. The second part is around the same time when we started working on digital public goods. Right, which is uh, how do you create open source population scale uh, technology that can be adopted by different states, that can be adopted by the private sector, that can be adopted by people outside of the country and so on. So DPGs was the second thing. And by definition, somewhere DPGs have to involve the community again. It is an ecosystem play. Now to begin with, somebody anchors it, some kind of organization may anchor a particular DPG, but but as we all know, increasingly it has to be owned by the community, the user community, the contributor community and all of that. So these things happen around the same time, I would say, where the, the 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 perspective kind of shifted from an organization to enabling an ecosystem. And it could be on the talent front to so things like Code for GovTech and the governance challenge, or it could be on the digital public good front. 
So that's that's one kind of major shift I would say around two years back uh, in our thought process, and then we executed that. No, that's really fascinating, Gaurav, because in that context, what uh, you know, I can also reflect upon and speak about the journey at Step in itself. Step in its journey didn't start with uh, looking at digital public goods and digital public infra, right? But as we were working in the impact space, the realization came through that, uh, look, if you have, for a country which is as complex as diverse, India is a continent, right? And, and hence, uh, there are variety of problems for which you need variety of diverse contextual solutions. Now, that cannot happen uh, with a single kind of a solution. You need uh, such solutions to play and, and you don't want people to be building from scratch, right? So, so by enabling and working towards digital public goods and enabling digital public infra, which follows the principle of minimalistic design, you actually open up many more possibilities of solutions which can be leveraged by the community across sectors. And then solve for those uh, challenges. So, so I think that kind of quite aligns well with the journey at each step uh, in the and uh, hence just wanted to point it out. But now looking at the future, Gaurav, what's your take? I am very bullish. I completely believe in this decade phrase that you used. At Samagir, for the last three years, we were saying that uh, by the time we turn 10, we turn 10 in December of 2022, we want to be quote-unquote ready to make a meaningful contribution in the India at 75 to India at 100 generally. So we had anchored everything on India at 75 to India at 100 three years back because we really feel that we've always, we keep saying since childhood, we've been listening all of us that we have a lot of potential as a country. Now it's time that we realize that potential and convert that into something real for our people. And we believe that's going to happen in this 25 years if it has to uh, happen and it will happen. And there also the first 10 years is extremely critical. We'll set the tone for the, the full 25 years. And that 10 years is what you're calling the decade. And what gives hope uh, in those 10 years is technology. And the way technology is kind of, India has really taken the lead in some uh, population scale technology, which can really benefit the, the citizens. And in every sphere, every domain you look at, there's something or the other, some revolution that's underway, right? In education, we are talking about the national digital education architecture, NDR, in, in health, we are talking about the Ayushman Bharat digital mission, in agriculture, we are talking about the agri stack, in financial, this thing, we have the, we already have UPI, we have the account aggregator. In, in e-commerce, we are talking about the open network for digital commerce. You talk about any sphere and we're really showing the way in some sense uh, also to the world, I believe. And it really benefit us. And all, all of these things today are words and phrases and, and things which have been kind of planted. But all of them will play their course over the next five to 10 years. And then that's when the impact of this will start accruing. And that's what we're really, really excited about and looking forward to. And I completely resonate with that, Gaurav, because uh, the times are really exciting, right? And and like you had put it, that uh, it's time to convert the potential into that reality, which brings about that change and you know really transforms so many different spaces. And you spoke for examples of how this is coming through across different sectors. So, uh, I mean, the future is going to be very, very different from what it looks today. And uh, I think we are on the cusp of a big exponential change that will unlock in the country. And that's why probably the framing as India's decade. Yes. Uh, so uh, with that, I will come to the last segment of this, which is a little bit of a rapid fire. So a few very uh, you know, simple questions. First one, your favorite mistake at Samag? Favorite mistake is always on the people front, I would say. <laughs> Mistakes you make on uh, in terms of, I would say, recruitment. Favorite. Yes, that's the thing that kind of makes the most difference and, and we remember the most. 
but but uh, speak to an example if you can on that difficult to do every time you kind of yeah i would say every time you uh, it this it keeps on happening once in a while right so you you can get your process as tight as right and all but whenever you make a kind of mistake on the people from meet in terms of recruitment or beat subsequent that's what pinches the most uh, very difficult to kind of give an example it's uh, uh, also not relatable but your your favorite learning through the experience through the journey i think one thing that we believe when we made the pivot in 2015 but it's only gotten strengthened with time is a need for a strong pull from the government side to be able to bring about any uh, real change right so we really i feel that, that the government system is like an elephant and and the kind of work that we do we are trying to make that elephant run if not dance and the only way that you stand a chance to do that is if the mohot sitting on top is aligned and there's a strong pull from that mohot which could be the chief minister and the bureaucratic champion that's there so without that it's actually futile to kind of try to make the elephant run so that's the analogy analogy and any time we've deviated from that we've kind of really seen that it doesn't work right so that's a uh, i would say big learning i'll remember that the mohot on the elephant and the pull from that uh, your your favorite uh, aha moment so one thing that uh, that is really close to my heart is the chief minister's good governance associates program in haryana there we have one young professional in each of the 22 districts in the state working closely with the district administration we have a team in the chief minister's office to kind of coordinate with the uh, different departments in the state and so on that's something that i every time i kind of meet the and every year the cohort changes and i was very recently at the at the induction at ashoka university there that's something that always gives me a wow feeling that how young talent young professionals just with that passion and 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 basic raw talent you can say can make a huge difference or can act play a catalytic role let me say catalytic role in in kind of driving governance right and we've had so many examples over the last 7 years of how that program has kind of really led to statewide impact in haryana you know many examples but that's something that every time i meet them every time i see them interact with the chief minister that's a kind of a aha moment awesome so the last one your favorite prediction for the future it's more uh, uh, something that i hope uh, i really want to see uh, and i think it'll happen sometime that the best talent coming out of the best campus in the country will choose to work in this space as opposed to and i'm for the lack of any other word i'm as opposed to going to the best corporate the mckinsey the google and yesterday's unicorn instead of that they kind of say that we this is this is the choice that we're making for our career so it's not that we'll kind of do well in the corporate world make money and then contribute but we'll actually commit our professional life towards creating impact for the country i think that's the very beginning the moment yeah. you get it awesome this was really fascinating gaurav thank you so much for taking out time and uh, walking us uh, through the wonderful experiences that you've had i think uh, a lot of what you shared are very very deep learnings which can really help everyone who's looking to play a role in the sector and i really share the optimism and the excitement that you have uh, towards uh, the times that we are sitting in and i hope it excites uh, like you said uh, the best of talent in the country to get associated with the space so with that wish you the very best at samagra and wish that what you're going after becomes bigger and better with time more than what you might have even imagined if that can happen thank you so much thanks thanks a lot got a very good pleasure to speak to you and have this conversation thanks a lot thank you i unlocked a lot of possibilities in this conversation hope it did the same for you which leaders would you like me to meet what would you like me to ask them please write to me 
at gauravitexdev.org. 